So some things that I, I got out of the news this week. You know, the biggest one, we've seen, we've seen a lot of this stuff for the last couple of years. Um, that, you know, at first when the pandemic started, we, there was this concern, is this really something that's serious? And then we begin to really see that there was a lot of deception, manipulation, lying and stuff going on in ways that was, that was astounding. In fact, there's a part, there's a part of me, I just, I, I, I mentioned this some last week, but there's a part of me that I still want to trust in our government and want to trust in, um, in, the, in leadership and things like that, but, but it has been mind-boggling how much deception and how much lies and stuff that's been going on. And uh, then we started seeing where the C- CDC was making stuff up, it, r- extremely over-inflating the deaths um, due to COVID. Then we see the NIH got caught with a bunch of stuff. Then, then Dr. Fauci, now he has all of the patents for all this vaccine, and he's making millions of dollars. And just day, day after day after day, just more stuff, more stuff. This week, this one, this one has bothered me more than the CDC, NIH, Dr. Fauci, all that stuff. Um, I, I guess maybe partly because I was previous military, but I, I just, I still believe in our military. But now you're seeing, even at the top levels with, with General Milley, I mean, that guy is that guy is not okay. He is not a good guy, and we're seeing this now. This week, it came out that the DoD has been blatantly lying and about numbers having to do with COVID and the vaccine and all this other stuff, hiding stuff, um, burying it. And and uh, five doctors from the army came out this last week, knowing that they're going to get court-martialed for this. Okay, their whole career is done. But they came out with all of this stuff and, and produced a, a bunch of material that is all the factual stuff that's going on um, with, with um, conditions and issues that come from the vaccine. These things had never existed. And then uh, over the last year and a half to two years now that the vaccine is getting out, these are the, these are the numbers that they produced this last week and sent out. There has been... <clears throat> A 456% increase in acute myocardial infarction. These are, these are military members that are taking this vaccine. 456% increase. A 468% increase in pulmonary embolism. A 296% increase in all cancers. 275% increase in myocarditis. This... This, this is not just that these are cases. These are increases over all the numbers that used to be. This is, this is crazy stuff. And then, uh, just this week also, Dr. Fauci said that there will probably be a fifth shot coming out in the fall. Now, remember when we, when we first started talking about this two years ago, and, that, and, and it was, we're just going to lock down for a couple of weeks until we get this thing lined out. And from day one, I started saying, that is a lie First, the government doesn't do anything temporary, specifically when you get money for it. It will exist forever. And so we're seeing this now two-plus years later, and we're still talking about it, still doing this stuff. And, and people are dying because of decisions that the CDC, Dr. Fauci, NIH, and medical practitioners all over the country are buying into this, and people are dying because of this. And we're still playing the games. Now, a part of the reason I say all that is because what I'm speaking about this morning, I, I want to, I want to, um, I, I keep getting the question, what can we do? What can we do? And I, and I talked a little bit about last week about me uh, not going to my doctor anymore. Um, they, they, when I walked in this last week, they made me put on a mask. And I, 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 I don't get it. Now, even the, even the ultra, ultra liberal people Nancy Pelosi even said, don't wear a mask. We don't have to wear a mask anymore. CDC said no more mask mandate across America. But my doctor's office, who should know medical stuff, is still saying masks, still mandating vaccine, everything. And I just told him last week when I went in, I just told him, I'm I'm not going to wear a mask. I wasn't rude or anything like that. I just said, I'm not going to wear a mask. And and you literally thought they were going to have seizures. And I just said, I'm not going to wear a mask. And they said, well, the end result was, we can't help you. I said, then I'll find another doctor. There are doctors all over this city that don't make you wear masks. 
Now, here's the thing. What happens when I get cancer? If, I'm not going to win. What happens if I get cancer? Are they going to make me wear a mask? Are they not going to give me the best treatment because the CDC has got patents on a, on a, a very poor treatment? So I just, I'm just going to find a doctor that uses good medical practice and common sense and stops buying into the machine because my health is at, at risk here. So, so when, I, when I get the question, what can I do? Guys, I know I've been saying this. I mean, I've been saying this for decades, but you have more power to change things than you think you do. You do. You have the ability to change people's minds and their thoughts and their worldview. You have the ability to tear down mentalities in society and cultural norms. You have the ability. But as long as you think you have to go along, then, you, then you're, you're sacrificing that ability. And I'm going to show you the number one way that you can push back against anything that society pushes. And I'm saying that Satan is manipulating and using and infiltrating things like that. I'm going to show you the best thing that you have at your disposal. And, and you don't think about it. Because usually I talk about you know, the power of the Holy Spirit or God's Word. And those are very important aspects. Those are vital. But they can, they can give us something that can be very influential. And I really do believe... I really, I know I've, I talk about this a lot, and, and um, years ago when I started talking about this, people would say, well, this is conspiracy theory or whatever the case is, and now it's, it's so out there. They're having, they've written books about this, they're having conferences about this, but it's called The Great Reset. Okay, look it up. Just look it up. It's no longer theory. It is being put into practice, and basically it's, it's, it's the, it's the uh, vehicle for one world government. One world, everything, really, but one world government. And so in thinking about this, there are some basic things that has to happen. One is your individualism has to be eliminated. There, there is the, the biggest thing that, that is, this, is the, um, the stance of uh, uh, American exceptionalism and freedom and liberty and all these things is actually the individual, we the people. It's not... It's not the, the power of the government. It's not finance. It's not. It's we the people. The fact that you have the ability to be free and own property. That is the foundational stuff of America. That you have the ability as, a, as an individual to do something. That's why that, that the idea that you, can, that you can come to America, be in America, whatever the case is, and you can accomplish anything... You know, we, we get a lot of bad press about America in America, but just go somewhere else in the rest of the world, okay? If you've been anywhere else, you know that, that everybody everywhere else wants to come to America. It's, and that's why I, w- I think we should do a trade system. Anybody that doesn't like America, you're welcome to leave. We'll do a Red Rover, Red Rover, <laughs> send the libs over, you know, that kind of thing. So here's another one. Morality must be eliminated. You understand that you can't have a collective, you can't have the board collective mentality when you have individual morality because individual morality looks out for first God's plan for your life but then also other people. It looks out for purity and the things that are best for society, the best for uh, families, the best for children. That has to be eliminated. You can't, you can't infiltrate all the schools and all the stuff with the perversion that's going on if you really care about morality, okay? Freedom also has to be eliminated. Now, you, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a gun guy, and I'm not saying you have to have guns or whatever the case is, but the Second Amendment is designed for people to have guns for what? It's not for hunting. It's not for personal protection. It's for when the government comes and says, we're taking you. That's the, Hitler got rid of the guns. The Jews went to the camps. Okay? Second Amendment. But here's the reality of this. Salvation changes everything. When somebody gets saved, their worldview changes. Their understanding, they're looking at the way they look at other people changes. The way you look at yourself changes. The way you start to look at things like um, serving God and morality and freedom and stuff like that begins to change because your worldview changes. I, I've said this, and I know that people are like, ah, oh, that's, you know, but I don't know how many people actually believe this. But I see my, my number one goal in going to the state capitol is to witness to people and, and change their worldview. I don't see my primary responsibility as 
Republican, Democrat, legislation, that kind of stuff. It'll be what I have to do. But I see it as when I can step in there and declare Jesus Christ and somebody that believes that murdering babies is okay or all the the LGBT stuff, when they believe that's okay, if they can see Jesus and his grace and his mercy and his power and his righteousness and his holiness, they'll switch teams. That's the way I'm looking at this. Is that we, that we let Jesus change us, save us. So 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 1. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. His mother was that lady, the daughter of the, that person. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight and followed the example of his ancestor David. That is a very important sentence. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight. That sets the stage for everything. Now, this is, where, this is where we really struggle in America, and we, and we strongly struggle in the church in America, is are we really trying to please God, or are we doing something else? Do we really want Jesus to be in charge? So, I'm going to go to chapter 23, and I'm going to read the whole chapter. I kept trying to pick out, um, you know, this few verses, or this verse, or whatever, and I, I thought, you know, I'm just going to read the whole thing. Because everything that he does here is just amazing. Josiah's father, grandfather, you go up the tree, you get get to uh, Solomon, you get to David, you get to all of these people, right? They, They had done, and he mentioned some of this, they had set up idols, they had done a lot of stuff. And when Josiah comes in, he says, I'm going to do what is pleasing to God. We don't know why. It never tells us, you know, this, um, this epiphany or whatever that he has that he's got to, to fear God and serve him or whatever. We don't know. It doesn't tell us this. But he says, I'm going to serve God completely. Not a little bit, not some, but I'm going to serve God completely. So in chapter 23, the king summoned all the elders, this is Josiah, of Judah and Jerusalem. The king went up to the temple of the Lord, and with all the people of Judah and Jerusalem, along with the priests and the prophets, all the people from the least to the greatest. There the king read to them the entire book of the covenant that had been found in the Lord's temple. Now, this, I, I think this is the starting point for us, that everybody, however you see the least to the greatest, first, God doesn't see it that way, but however you see the least to the greatest, every single person we are going to make the word of God our primary. This is, this is one of the things my, my daughter has been interviewing. She's graduating from university, and she's been interviewing with churches to be a children's pastor. And, uh, and, she, and she, sometimes she listens to me about stuff. And uh, so she said, Dad, she didn't actually say that. I just told her. These are the questions you need to ask. And um, so she did. She told me the other day she was interviewing, I don't remember where, but she was interviewing with this church, and she asked the pastor, how important to you is children's ministry? How important in the big picture? Do you see it as, you know, I'm going to come in and just kind of keep the kids active or, or, or really teach them about the Word of God? And uh, the pastor went through this three or four minutes of, you know, we just want to have games here. We just want all this stuff. Well, hold on. Don't rush me. And then at the end of it, he said, I'm just kidding. None of that's true. And, and he said, but I could see it all over your face. You were already telling me I'm not coming here. This is not where I belong. And he said, man, I appreciate that. But, and she told me, she said, I was almost in tears because I like this church. Here's the thing. We, we teach the kids. You, you realize we do, even in the preschool, we have a curriculum in the preschool for teaching kids. My... Uh, the first time Lynn and I saw this, our oldest child, he was nine months old, year old, something around there. And uh, we're sitting at home, and he's, and he's playing, doing the floor, and we keep looking, and we both recognize this. We go over to him, and we're listening, and he's sitting on the floor playing with toys going, Now, for some of you that are newer to church... That was his version of the B-I-B-L-E. That's the book for me. He was less than a year. And he has no idea, but we went to that nursery um, director in our church. We were youth pastors, and we went to her, and, and she had tons of kids in that nursery, and told her, I mean, I'm in tears telling her this, thank you for teaching my child about the Bible. That meant so much to me at that point. Guys, we start with the Bible, from the least to the greatest. We start 
with the Bible. If you're really going to say, Jesus, be in charge of me, you start with the Word of God. You don't start with how you feel or your perception of life or society. You don't start with all the stuff online. You get in the Bible and just read the Bible. And if, and if you say to yourself, I, well, the Bible's boring, read it more. It's really not. It's, I mean, I've been wanting to do a message for a long time now. There's a lady in the Old Testament that comes into the tent, and she takes a, a, a tent peg and drives it through this guy's head. I don't know how I, that's going to preach right now, but I want to preach about that. The only reason I haven't is because my wife watches all these crime shows on TV, and almost all of them are, how do you kill your husband? Okay. <laughs> the king took his place of authority beside the pillar and renewed the covenant in the Lord's presence. He pledged to obey the Lord by keeping all of his commands, not some, all of his commands, laws and decrees with all of his heart and soul. We play games with this in the American church nowadays. We, we don't, we're not about all of his commands. We're about some, but we're not about all. And this is, this is the thing. I grew up, I grew up a long time ago in the Pentecostal church and back in those days, everything was a sin. And it did get too legalistic. I get that. But something that was very strong that has stuck with me today is this sense of reverence and fear for the Lord and a holiness mentality. That you don't just do whatever you want. God has laws. He has rules. And they're for you. I've talked about this with the Ten Commandments. Don't... Don't uh, covet another man's wife. Why? Because you get shot that way. That's a common sense one. <laughs> but, but we play games with this, right? We play games. And God says, don't do this or do this. And we say, I don't know. I'll, I, I'll just make my own decision. He knows why he's telling you that, even if you don't. But here's the reality. Most of the time, we also know. In this way, he confirmed all the terms of the covenant that were written in the scroll, and all the people pledged themselves to the covenant. And I believe this. If you, depending on, it doesn't matter, young, old, whatever, when you start to say, God, I submit myself to you, you'll be surprised at the people around you that will start being attracted to that. Because it's truth. It's real. It's absolute. It's, 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 um, it's transcendent. And God will pull people to him through you. <clears throat> then the king instructed Hilkai, the high priest and the priest of the second rank and the temple gatekeepers, to re- now look at this, to remove from the Lord's temple. We're going to see that all the way through this chapter. To remove from the Lord's temple all the articles that were used to worship Baal. Why were they in the Lord's temple? And also Asherah and all the powers of the heavens, which is um, astronomy. Or is that right? Astrology. Which is the bad one? <laughs> Astrology. Strong, you. So, the, the king had all these things burned outside Jerusalem on the terraces of the Kidron Valley, and he carried the ashes away to Bethel. He was pretty serious about this. He did away with the idolatrous priests, and I don't think he just fired them. I think he killed them. I'm serious, because we're going to see that, right? He did away with the idolatrous priests who had been appointed by the previous kings of Judah. That's his father and his grandfather. And he, and, he, and he got rid of them. For they had offered sacrifices at the pagan shrines throughout Judah and even in the vicinity of Jerusalem. They had also offered sacrifices to Baal and to the sun and the moon and the constellations and all the powers of heaven, the heavens. The king removed the Asherah pole from the Lord's temple. There was actually an Asherah pole in the Lord's temple. And he took it outside Jerusalem to the Kidron Valley where he burned it. Then he ground up the ashes of the pole to dust and threw the dust over the graves of the people. The graves of what people? I think the idolatrous priests. Okay? He also tore down the living quarters of the male and female shrine prostitutes. This just gets weirder. They, that they were inside the temple of the Lord, where the women wove coverings for the Asherah pole. 
It's interesting, they, wore, they wove coverings for the Asherah pole so they could be naked. Josiah brought to Jerusalem all the priests who were living in other towns of Judah. He also defiled the pagan shrines where they had offered sacrifices, all the way from Geba to Beersheba. He destroyed the shrines at the entrance to the gate of Joshua, the governor of Jerusalem. This gate was located to the left of the city gate as one enters the city. The priests who had served at the pagan shrines were not allowed to serve at the Lord's altar in Jerusalem. These apparently were the ones that repented at some level, right? But they were allowed to eat unleavened bread with the other priests, which means they had to have repented. They got to be part of basically Passover. Then the king defiled the altar of Topeth in the valley of Ben-Hinnom. So no one could ever again use it to sacrifice her son or a daughter in the fire as an offering to Molech. This is another God. You guys, you guys know what the modern equivalency of sacrificing your children to Molech is? It's abortion. We're killing babies. They did the same thing then. They sacrificed. They, they literally took little babies and put them in fires so their God, Molech, would be happy. What is the difference between us Killing little babies today. What's the difference? It may be a different altar. It may be the altar of, of, of self and selfishness and no accountability or responsibility. It's still an altar, and we're sacrificing our babies. I mentioned last week, I don't know for sure when yet, but, but God had, had showed me something very strongly about abortion. I'm going to talk about it in the next few weeks. I don't know when. I'm still trying to get my, my head and my spirit wrapped around it. Um, I, I, I said this, God doesn't give me visions. I don't know if I've ever, maybe once or twice ever, that I've had something that might even be casually called about. I have dreams all the time. I know that makes me an old man. None of your business. <laughs> Young men are having visions. I get it. So, but, but God gave me a very, very strong vision the other day about abortion to the point where it, it, it hurt me. I was physically sick over this. Guys, we're, we're, God is not okay with this. This is an abomination to God, and God is not okay. And then we got, then we got Christians that say they, they, are, they believe in abortion, or, or what they call uh, pro-choice. It's interesting, we believe in, in uh, pro-choice as long as it's about an other person called a baby, but we don't believe in pro-choice when it comes to you and your body for vaccine. It's... it's it's bizarre, the weird lie that we are as a country. It is, it is bizarre. He removed the entrance to the, Lord te- the Lord's temple, the horse statues that were the former kings of, of, that the former kings of Judah had dedicated to the sun. They were near the quarters of Nathan Melech, the eunuch, and officer of the court. The king also burned the chariots dedicated to the sun. He's pretty serious about this. Josiah tore down the altars that the kings of Judah had built on the palace roof above the upper room of Ahaz. The king destroyed the altars that Manasseh had built in the two courtyards of the Lord's temple. He smashed them to bits and scattered the pieces in the Kidron Valley. The king also desecrated the pagan shrines east of Jerusalem. These people were very involved with demonic cult. He is spending years accomplishing this stuff. The king also desecrated the pagan shrines east of Jerusalem to the south of the Mount of Corruption where the King Solomon of Israel. He's going all the way up to King Solomon. Now, why is that important? To me, this is important because Josiah, there had to have been people that were saying, who do you think you are? He's even reaching up the tree all the way to King Solomon. You understand that King Solomon was the man. He was, he was as respected of if any king except maybe David himself, King Solomon. And he says, King Solomon did some stuff that was wrong, and I'm tearing it down and burning it to the ground. You know there were people picking on him for this. Where King Solomon of Israel had built the shrines for Ashtoreth, the detestable goddess of the Sidonians, and for Chemosh, the detestable God of the Moabites, and Molech, the vile God of the Ammonites. King Solomon was involved with those three gods. Then he desecrated these places by scattering human bones over them. The king also tore down... You, you, let, me, let, me, let me throw this in here because I think this is important. The idea of 
They, there, there had to have been people picking on Josiah for messing with King Solomon and King Solomon's legacy and all this kind of stuff. You know, it's interesting. Um, as soon as I became the powerful political figure that I am today, <laughs> it, it's amazing how many people have advice for me. It, it just, when I was at the assembly the other day, people I don't even know, they're walking up to me, hey, I heard you, it was either before the election or after, they heard you doing this, and we're excited, you know, you should do this. And I have people say, you should never talk about this. You should always talk about this. And I had somebody, well-meaning, I like the person, I think they're legitimate, but they explained to me the whole way I'm going to give my speech at the assembly, and what I need to do is, you know, go through this, then go through this, and when you get to the end, um, you need to really attack the other two opponents. And he told me how. Say this, say this. And I, and I said, I'm not going to. He said, what? I said, I'm not going to. I said, if that's the only way that I can get elected, I'm not interested. I was kind of looking for an out anyway. But, <laughs> but, but if that's what it takes to get elected. And, and, and he said, no, if you don't, you're not going to get elected. You have to do this. He said, I understand your your." Morality, all this stuff. He said, but this is politics. And I said, but it's not mine. And when I gave my speech, and man, it was an amazing speech. <laughs> I, uh, I didn't say anything negative about the other two people. They said some interesting things about me. I'm like, you don't even know me. How did, but either way. So, but I didn't say anything about them. I'm not going to do that. Literally, if that's what it takes to get elected, I don't want to be a part of it. Why can't, why can't we be people of character and integrity? And here's the thing. You're going to have people your entire life that are going to try to, to convince you to do this or to say this or to go here or whatever. But somewhere you have to decide, I am going to do what is pleasing to God under all circumstances. And I'm not going to compromise on that. And it doesn't matter who's saying what or where they're trying to get. or what. You stand on who God has called you to be. You stand on God's word. You stand. You, you better fear God more than you ever fear people. You stand on what God has said. And guys, it's going to inconvenience you sometimes. It's going to cause you problems. But you stand for God because at the end of the day, you're very comfortable with who you are. I, I am very good with my own skin. What well, could be a little looser, but <laughs> but I, I'm good with me. Because why? I'm doing the best I can to serve God. It doesn't mean I'm perfect. It doesn't mean I get it done right all the time. That's not what I'm saying. But at the end of the day, I can stand before God and say, I'm doing everything I can to please you. Nobody else. As Josiah had made the decision, God, I'm pleasing you. I don't care. I don't care who, who, who thinks this or this or this about what I'm doing. I'm serving God. Then Josiah turned and looked up at the tomb of the man of God who had predicted these things. Let me, let me back up. I went down too far. The king also tore down the altar at Bethel, the pagan shrine. The Jeroboam, son of Nebat, had made when he caused Israel to sin. He burned down the shrine, ground it to dust, burned the Asherah pole. Then Josiah turned around and noticed several tombs in the side of the hill. He ordered, and, and you can find this story. You can do, this, uh, do a Bible search to find this story. It's pretty interesting. He ordered that the bones he brought out, and he burned them on the altar at Bethel to, to, to desecrate it. This happened just as the Lord had promised through the man of God when Jeroboam stood beside the altar at the festival. Then Josiah turned and looked up at the tomb of the man of God who had predicted these things. What is that monument over there? Josiah asked, and the people of the town told him, It is the tomb of the man of God who came from Judah and predicted the very things that you have just done to the altar at Bethel. Josiah replied, Leave it alone. Don't disturb his bones. So they did not burn his bones or those of the old prophets from Samaria. Then Josiah demolished all the buildings at the pagan shrines in the town of Samaria, just as he had done at Bethel. They had been built by the various kings of Israel and made the Lord very angry. There are things all through Scripture that is making God angry. And because we're not reading the whole thing and really getting in there, we actually miss that. I, I, all the time I have people that will ask, and it will come up in a question, theological, whatever, 
Why, why did God, why was it okay to have multiple wives in the Old Testament and one wife in the New Testament? The, the answer is, you're not reading the whole thing. That's the answer. God was not okay with them having multiple wives. God was not okay with the concubines and everything else. He says this stuff over and over. But just because somebody like David has multiple wives and concubines and God doesn't strike him dead, we're like, well, I guess you can have multiple wives. First, it's, I just think it's a bad decision. <laughs> but this is where in the New Testament, when it, talk, when it talks about spiritual leadership, um, uh, board members and things like that in churches, it says, be the, be the uh, husband of one wife. Most of the time, people use that in the context of divorce. That's not what he's talking about. You can use it in that context. I don't think it's wrong. But he's saying, not multiple wives. Have one wife at a time. <laughs> you know, this is an issue that my father-in-law first discussed this. This was years ago when he first got to Africa. And he said one of the things that began to happen is people get saved and they have like four or five wives. He said, what do you do about this? And I thought he was asking me. So I gave him my opinion. I said, I guess you have them pick their favorite one. (laughs) Um, While that actually does happen quite a bit, that's not the actual answer. The actual answer, I I was about to ask you guys, I'm just going to tell you. Um, The actual answer is the first one. Now, here's the thing. Now, somebody's got to tell four other women go away. These are big social issues. These have a lot of impact. There's a lot of stuff going on with that. But, but here's the reality. God is big enough, and he can, and, and I could spend all day just talking about that subject, how they fix that, how they handled situations, how they take care of these other women. I mean, all kinds of stuff. But when, when you say, Jesus, I want you to be in charge, it changes your world. It changes your life. And sometimes it really uh, puts it upside down before you allow the Holy Spirit to get everything fixed. It really, it really is not as simple sometimes as, you know, get saved and everything works out. It does long term, but short term, there's a lot of problems. Verse 20, he executed the priest of the pagan shrines on their own altars as it should be. I, I'll tell you something. I, I think about that sentence there because I, I've thought about this a lot, and I'm starting to see this. I've seen it at different times, but I'm starting to see this really strongly. It's beginning right now, okay? So I might be wrong about how this is going to play out. But I believe that we're going to start seeing this in our country right now. People that have built their own altars, they're going to come crashing down on those own altars. The, the, the house is going to be burnt to the ground that they built. Think about Naaman, Esther. He builds the gallows, and then he's hung on his own gallows. And I believe that's, I, I really strongly believe that we're going to start seeing that in, in the country today. Verse 21, King Josiah then issued this order to all the people. You must celebrate the Passover to the Lord your God as required in this book of the covenant. What is the Passover? It's the foretelling of Jesus Christ coming to the earth. He needed them to know this story. But look at this. There had not been a Passover celebration like that since the time when the judges ruled in Israel, not throughout all the years of the kings of Israel and Judah. You know what that tells me? King David was not celebrating Passover. That's not okay, right? He did this in obedience to the laws written in the scroll that Hilkiah, the priest, had found in the Lord's temple. Never before, look at this, never before had there been a king like Josiah who turned to the Lord with all of his heart and soul and strength. There had never been a king before like this, obeying all the law of Moses. And there has never been a king like him since. This is my heart. I think it's, I think many of you, if not all of you in here, you have this heart too, I hope. I want that to be my epitaph. That I turn to God 100%. I turn to God completely. I am all in with the Lord. Because that's difficult, and specifically in society today, because we even have the church trying to convince us you don't have to go that far. You can play on the edges. You can serve God some, not serve God. 
Well, you're the one who makes the decision for you. When you stand before God, he's not going to say, what did your pastor preach? He's going to say, what did I tell you? Did you get in my word? Holiness has got to be something we pursue again in life. We've got to pursue holiness in the church. We've lost it. We've left it so far behind. We, we come up with so much stuff that this is okay or this is okay. We can do this. Guys, pursue holiness. Where does that start? That starts with the fear of God, that you're more concerned about what God thinks than anybody else. Pursue God with there. I put this into some points for us. First, put God first in all things. Not just saying it, truly doing it. Put God first in all things. Work, home, life, society, culture, family, everything. Put God first. The second thing is destroy all anti-God spiritual and life influences. Destroy anything in your world and your life that is influencing you away from God. Whatever it is. Again, this is where we play games. Right? I saw this... I saw this years ago when I was a youth pastor, 30 years ago. I started seeing this conversation of prayer in the schools. 1990, I became a youth pastor. We were starting to see the conversation of prayer in schools. We need prayer in schools. And, and it would always bother me that people would come out and, and have these, you know, walk along the streets with signs, prayer in school, prayer in school, all this kind of stuff, knowing that they didn't pray at home. See, you, you can't influence by words and, and some kind of um, uh, public action. You influence by who you are when nobody is looking. That's who you are. That influences people. When you step into the public arena, you are now an influencer because the Spirit of God is upon you. You are obeying Him. You are submitted to Him. If you are a person of prayer at home... Your children will pray. Do you realize your kids can pray at school? It's not against the law for your kids to pray at school. It may be against the law for teachers and stuff like that, but, but your kids can pray at school. Nobody says they can't. But if they're not prayer people, they don't want to or need to. I have always worried about praying for my food, right? I can't, I can't really eat a meal without praying for my food because I... I think I'll get sick. I'm not sure. I'm not sure because I haven't tested it. Because I don't want to test it. Who? I don't want to be the guy to die. And they're like, oh, he died of COVID. But we all really know he died because he didn't pray for his food. So who I am, and this is one of the things. I've, I've mentioned this before. But as a parent, I can tell you I made a lot of mistakes. There's not a lot of things I did right. But there was some things that I did right as a parent. And the number one biggest thing that I know that Lynn and I did right as parents is we prayed with our kids every day. We did not compromise on that. Every day we prayed with our kids. And we would always get in, the, in, um, uh, in, the, in our, Lynn and I's bed. The kids would all come to the bed, and we'd be trying to go to sleep, but we got to pray. And so, and, and I'm talking more about Linda, but we'd get together, and pretty soon it would turn into a long conversation. We're joking and laughing and playing until finally mom made us all pray and go to bed. But, but this is something we did. I mean, we did it all our life. All, since the kids were little babies, we did this. And, and this is one of the times, there's three or four other examples I could give you that were huge for me, but this is just one example. My oldest son <clears throat> starts dating um, this girl named Amanda, who is his wife now. And the very first year they were dating, they, he brings her to, uh, here to Colorado, and uh, they're at university together in Texas, and, and um, bring her to Colorado, and we, um, we get ready for bed, and Lynn and I are in the bedroom, and we're in bed, and all of a sudden knock on the door, open the door, and all three of our kids, and Amanda is standing there. Jonathan and Amanda are grown, right? They're, they're at the huge, wise old age of like 19 now. And so they, they look in the room, and, and Jonathan comes in. And he says, are we not going to pray? I was like, does she want to do that? <laughs> I mean, even Mesquivy's here under the sheets. Does she really? <laughs> is this what she wants? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and she said, she was very excited. She said, I've been waiting 
to do this with you guys since I met Jonathan. She said, I just want to pray with you guys. She didn't really grow up in a Christian home. And she was so excited. They all kids all get on the bed. She jumps on the bed, and she's sitting there bouncing on the bed. She's excited. She's <laughs> like, this is going to be great. And I'm like, I don't think it's as cool as you think it is. <laughs> but this is the thing is apparently it made such an impact in my son's life that he was telling her about it. In fact, I, I, I've got plenty of time. I'll tell you something else. We were one day, because we would Skype when my son, my oldest son went to school and then my second son went, all this, uh, we would Skype in the evening and pray together as a family evening because my kids missed it. They would Skype us and, and FaceTime or whatever, and they would do this. And one time we were sitting there, and it's just um, Jonathan and Amanda, I think maybe Isaac, I don't remember at that time, I don't know if he was at school yet, but they're there, and they're praying. We're getting ready to pray. And I can tell there's other noises. They're outside on a courtyard at the school, and um, there's other noise. And I said, are there other people around watching this? He's like, why do you ask? <laughs> well, okay, I know the answer now. And I said, who's all right? He turns the camera around. There's like 30 people standing there watching prayer night with the bottoms because they had been talking about it, and all these people wanted to see it. Now I'm really nervous about I'm going to pray. Guys, You've got to destroy the stuff that Satan is trying to influence, and you've got to put God in your life, 100%. Here's some, some quick things. I got this. I think the very first thing when it comes to schools, I think the very first thing is you've got to support the good guys. There are some good teachers, good counselors, good administrators at the schools. Support them because they really are by themselves to a great extent. They're, they're really isolated a lot. Support them. Figure out who they are and support them. It's not hard to do. We have some right here, quite a few actually in our church. Support them. The next thing is do something. Get involved. Run for school board. Um, I said some of this last week. Uh, District 49 is considered the most conservative school in all of El Paso County. They voted against CRT um, last year or the year before. I think two of the board members in D49 uh, were sending me some emails about this. They now have something called SEL, or Social Emotional Learning. And basically, it's just a revisit, and it's the um, sending unit for teaching CRT in the schools. Okay? Well, we've got to stand up against this stuff. And the, the, the board, chair, board chair, superintendent, COO of the D49, they're all in favor of this. They're supposed to be good, solid, Christian, conservative people, and they are in favor of this social-emotional learning process. Guys, here's the reality. If you're not talking to your kids about what's going on in school, you really have no idea. If, if you're over 35, you have no idea what's actually going on in schools nowadays. You think you do because you think it's like when you went to school, and it's not. Okay, I had a friend of mine that... Um, He's, uh, he, he works, uh, does political stuff up in Denver, and he took a picture and sent it to me this week. This is on the, the front door of a classroom in a Denver elementary school. Okay, next picture. I'll give you a little bit closer. This is, this was on, a, and he told me, he says, I was walking down the hall looking in the classrooms. He said, in every classroom there was a gay flag, every gay pride flag in every classroom. He said, many of the classrooms had Antifa flags, and some of them had BLM flags. He said, but none of them had an American flag. This isn't an elementary school. We've got to do something. Don't just... Now, if I was raising kids today, I would, I would probably charter school them, Christian school them. I'm not saying you're wrong about sending your kids to public school, but, but you're, you're being willfully naive if you're not discussing this stuff every day with them. Ask them some questions. Ask them how the, what they were taught about um, Thanksgiving or Columbus Day. Ask them that. And then see what, they, what the real answer is. Because it's a goofy lie that they're being told in schools today. We're rewriting history. Parents, you better be involved. You better be intentional. You better be having the conversations. And I'm saying every day. Because your kids are not just going to come out and tell you this stuff. Why? Because they don't want crazy mama up at school. My kids knew this would happen every now and then. Now, this was more like for homework issues. But when they'd come walking down the hall and Linda would be standing at their locker just waiting on them. 
They were like, because she's a little off sometimes when it gets like stuff like that. It's just she gets in it and, you know. But that's why they're not telling you stuff. They don't want you up there at the school. I get that. But this is their life, their soul, and their eternity. Figure out what's going on. Talk to them about this stuff. All right? Here's something we're going to do. April 11th, here at the church, 6.30, we're going to show this documentary. It's called Whose Children Are They? Um, I just saw this two weeks ago. This, is, this was produced by a lady that is now running for Senate um, here in Colorado, and her husband is a, a um, movie maker. I, I was amazed and appalled. She was just a parent in Jefferson County and went to a school board meeting and began to stand up. And, and this documentary came from this. As it, I please, please show up and be a part of this. Now, uh, we, we had to buy the rights to do this. The way we did this is, well, you're going to buy the rights. Um, <laughs> w- they made the rules. We didn't get to choose any of this. But you have to buy tickets to come to this, and we had to document all this kind of stuff. You can go online. Our website has the link to it. Your, your app has a link to the website for this, so you can buy tickets and all this kind of stuff. Be careful bringing younger kids. They literally say this about two-thirds of the way through the documentary. They say the rest of this content is not suitable for young children because it is what they are being taught in schools. They read straight out of textbooks. They show pictures straight out of textbooks. And every person in here will be very embarrassed as they do that. It's bad. Guys, please come to this. Think, get proactive, do some things like this. Next thing is social media. Stop. It's a simple. Our teenagers, at the beginning of the year, they just finished this. They go through three weeks of complete fast of all social media, video games, and everything. How many of you adults could do that? Think about what I'm saying. A day, two days, a week? No Facebook, no TV, no videos, no nothing, no Netflix, Amazon Prime Video, Hulu, Paramount Plus, Disney Plus. Could we do this? Guys, this stuff is infiltrating our, our spirit and it's indoctrinating us. We've got to be able to stand up against this. And I think, I think just take a stand against some of this stuff. You don't have to have it always. I mean, yes, you can connect and do so, but you don't have to let it control you. And if you say right now, I'm in control, it doesn't control me, I can quit any time. Okay, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 26. When God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth, but now he makes another promise. Once again, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. This means that all of creation will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things will remain. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. For our God is a devouring fire. Why don't you stand with me? I want my house to be a house of prayer, a house of morality, a house of truth. As I, I, I know that's our hearts, our passion. But we've got to pursue it. We can't just assume it's going to happen. We've got to work toward it. All right, let's pray. Lord, we submit ourselves to you. That, God, you are the king. We are not the king. You are the king. You are the sovereign one. You're the all-consuming fire. You're the beginning and the end. You are truth. You're righteousness. Lord, we, we ask you deep in our spirit to bring a fear of you back in our spirit. God, that we are more fearful of you than any human on this planet. We're more fearful and respectful of your holiness than any opportunity for sin or temptation. That we are completely respectful of your sovereignty and your power. You truly are all-powerful. God, I submit to you. I submit my mind and my life, everything about me. Lord, I want want you to be able to say about me 
what you said about Josiah. That, Lord, I, I have given you everything. And I've torn down all this, the sin. I've torn down all the stuff. And I have done what is pleasing to you. I've kept all your laws. I've kept all your word with my heart, my mind, my soul, my strength. Lord, I want, I want you to say that about me. Lord, I want you to say that about every person in this room. Lord, we just repent. We just turn. We turn from all the stuff. And we just turn to you. We just submit to you and surrender to you. We surrender our families. We surrender our lives, our children, our marriages. We surrender our workplace. We surrender our, our finances. We surrender everything to you that you be God, completely God over everything. Lord, if there's anything, any way within us that's not pleasing to you, reveal that to us and help us to get it right with you. In the name of Jesus, that we need you. Our country needs you. Our schools need you. pray that you take us from here full of your Holy Spirit, full of your power, your presence, that, Lord, we just need you. God, help us to tell somebody about your amazing love and grace this week. And, Lord, I pray that every one of us in here, as we're going through our week, that anything, anything that is in our existence, our lives, our minds, anything that's not right with you, immediately reveal it to us. Show us this week as we make a decision or do something. Just show us real quick. And God, we will turn to you. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you the opportunity to let somebody know Jesus loves them. Do the best you can. Tell somebody Jesus has got a plan for them, and watch God do some big stuff. We will see you Wednesday night. I'm continuing with Daniel on Wednesday night. We will see you then. Have a great rest of your afternoon.